coloured. What's your name? I asked. Simeon. I was this dead fella's tender. The tender was the bloke on the boat who held the diver's lifeline, tried to make sure he didn't get in any trouble. You didn't do a very good job. Divers, they die all the time. Can't help for that. I took a look at Simeon's little brother. What's your name? I said. But he just turned away and acted shy like a girl. Does he speak English? I said to Simeon. His name's Jesus. What kind of name's Jesus? You always got this many questions, boss. I just shrugged my shoulders. I thought, I've got all day. I'm not going anywhere, and I'm curious. Why shouldn't I ask questions? It's the Lord's name, Simeon said. No, that's God. No, Jesus, like Jesus in the Bible. Jesus Christi. I stared at him. I still didn't get it. Then it hit me. You mean Jesus? His name is Jesus? I'd never met anyone called Jesus before, and I was a bit shocked. But the Manila men were like that. I found out later there were quite a few of them called Jesus. Like us calling someone Mary, I suppose, and not thinking about God's mum whenever we said it. You're fixing to tell me where the morgue is, boss? What ship are you off? Simeon looked like he was about to explode. I was enjoying myself. This was better than sitting under a tree doing nothing, and a lot better than going to school. The Charlotte. The Charlotte's one of Captain Wharton's boats. For sure. You tell me where the morgue is now, boss. Where did you learn to speak English? Back home. Manila. Lots of Americanos in Manila. How did he die? I said, pointing to the dead Jap. Simeon puffed out his cheeks. I was really getting to him now. This was good. Like they all die, boss. Stayed down too long. He was dead when we hauled him up. The Jap had flies all over him and his eyes were glassy, like a fish left in the sun too long, and bits of him were turning black. I'd seen dead bodies before. Once, I was in the mangroves looking for shells when I saw something hanging from one of the branches like a big fruit bat. I waded in closer and saw it was a body, all bloated with his tongue hanging out of his mouth, big and black like he choked on an overripe banana. Found out later it was one of the divers. He'd got in too much debt gambling in Japtown, so he tied his belt around his neck and strung himself up. Boss, if we don't get this fellow to the morgue pretty soon, there'll be nothing left to bury, Simeon said. I decided to let him off the hook. I'll show you where to go, I said. I showed them the way, up the end of Savile and then down Robinson. I knew where the hospital was because it was right opposite the state school where I should have been doing my lessons instead of sitting under that jacaranda. It wasn't a hospital like you think of them these days. Just a big house with a veranda right the way around and covered with lattice to keep out the bugs. The morgue was around the back. I pointed Simmy on the way and we shook hands. Big Jesus didn't shake hands. Wouldn't even look at me. He kept close by Simeon like he was frightened I was going to hurt him. See you, boss, Simeon said. Yeah, I'll see you around, I answered. And I did see him around. That's how the trouble started.
little white town. It was a strange old place, Broome. We weren't like any other Australian town. It was as if a giant hand had reached down from the sky and scooped up a bit of Asia and chucked it down right in the middle of the outback, a Chinese squat surrounded by red dirt and mangroves. There was a pecking order. The master pearlers would get around town in their white tropical suits and a solar topi to keep the sun off. Wearing white didn't make much sense in Broome. The streets were nothing but red dust and the heat squeezed sweat out of you like you were a lemon. But if you were one of the white bosses, it's what you did. Almost all the divers were Japs, wiry little blokes, most of them smaller than me, but they could dive deeper and longer than anyone else. Captain Tallboys was the last white man to actually dive his own boat. But now he was limping around town half dead of the paralysis. My old man said the Japs' bodies were built so they could take deep diving better than whites or even the Malays. They could stay underwater longer and deeper than anyone else. I don't know whether that's true. If you look at all the graves in the Japanese cemetery, it makes you wonder. Still, a good diver could make a fortune, if he lived to spend it. After the Japs came the crews, the Manila men and Malays, and the Kopangas from the islands off Darwin. Bottom of the rung in the town were the Bingis, which is what we call the natives. The town was pretty much set out the same way. The whites built their bungalows on the higher land to the north, shaded by coconut palms. The crews lived in boarding houses in Chinatown, or in a nest of shanty tin shacks called Sheba Lane, which ran between the jetty and the mangrove swamps. So that was our little white town, a melting pot of Malays, Bingies, Manilamen, Kopangas and Japanese and Chinese and us. You could go out and leave your back door open all day and never have to worry about a single thing getting stolen. But God help you if you owned a pearl or a lugger, because then you couldn't trust another living soul. Picture night. My old man owned a son, or the Sun Picture Stadium, to give it its full name. It's still there. You can go and have a look if you like. Back then, it was nothing much but a tin shed, a bit like a shearer's shed, only cut in half and open to the stars and to the weather, which was predictable enough in a place like Broome, where you only had two seasons, a wet and a dry. Saturday night was pitcher night, the big social event of the week in Broome. Once a week, you could forget the heat and the feeling you were living in the last place on earth, Right on dark, you walked into the sun and you went into another world, a world you didn't know existed, full of cowboys and tramps and pretty girls with Marcel waves in their hair, of cities with soaring buildings and hundreds of motor cars, badlands crisscrossed with stagecoaches and red Indians. Even the Jap divers would sit there in the dark, staring at the screens with their mouths open. The old ducks competed with each other with the latest frocks, and everyone brought a bit of gossip like they were bringing scones to a cake stall. Some of the crews put on pork pie hats, and a few of them even shaved. The blokes had to leave their dogs outside. That's how posh it was. Once, my old man was forced to break up a dogfight in the middle of a love scene, and he reckoned that was the stone-cold finish. From then on, he banned dogs on a Saturday night. The main attraction was the six-foot-long soda fountain in the foyer, where you could buy ice cream sodas, 
made with ice cream and aerated water from Milner's factory over the road. There were lots of different flavours, but I liked the strawberry best. The counter was polished marble and it had this big lamp in the middle of it with a lampshade of multicoloured glass. Everyone liked it because it was so American and anything American had to be good. My dad employed a lady called Mrs Wilkinson, Widow Wilkinson I called her, to work behind the counter. All around the foyer were framed colour posters of big movie stars. John Barrymore, Lillian Gish, John Gilbert and everybody's sweetheart, Mary Pickford. The old man couldn't run the place on his own, so he employed me as the help. After school I had to go straight to the picture house and put out the chairs. Then I'd deliver the dodgers, the handbills advertising the night's program, around Chinatown and the hotels. I'd run home, find something to eat, cook up a roux steak or some barramundi, then run back to the sun just in time to be the usher. The old man would give me five shillings a night, and that was good money for a kid my age. During layup in the wet season, when there was a show three or four times a week, I thought I was rich. Most of the seats were set out under the stars. The cane chairs in the middle of the stadium were for the master pearlers, bankers and government people. I had to save their places for them, even though they almost always arrived late from one or two of the white bloke pubs, the Conti, the Continental Hotel, or the Governor Broom. The other deck chairs were allocated for the Japs and the Chinese. The Japs kept themselves a bit apart from everyone else. You could see it in their faces. They thought they ran the town, and maybe they were right. The lugger crews, the Malays and the Manila men, had to come in through a different door and sit on hard wooden benches. There was a low lattice rail between them and everyone else. The bingies sat either right down the front or way up the back.